And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, then you will know that we have been going through our series in the book of Hebrews. And this evening, we're going to carry on in that series. So if you've got a Bible with you on your phone, or there's church Bibles on uh, the tables in front of you, then do turn with me uh, to Hebrews um, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read it together. And shortly, Dan will come explain that to us um, as we look more into what this means for us. So Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read just the first four verses uh, together. Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore nor so a great salvation. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words that you have spoken that we have it written down for us in our own language that we can read. We thank you that your word is powerful to change our hearts. And Lord, we come before you this evening longing that you would do such a thing, that you would change our hearts, to make them more like you, that we would know more of who you are. Lord, we pray this evening you'd give us open ears and open eyes to understand what you have to say to us this evening. Lord, I thank you for Dan, and I thank you for his preparation uh, on this passage. And Lord, as he explains it to us now, Lord God, I pray that you would speak mightily through him, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, use his words, and that they may speak uh, into our lives. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be glorified this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much. Well, good evening, everyone, and do keep your Bibles open as we look at this passage uh, in Hebrews. Oh, it's exciting. Well, you know, it's, it's easy to ignore warnings, isn't it? It's easy to ignore warnings, especially when you get warnings like these. And I promise these are all true, like one warning uh, that was on came on an iron that read, do not iron clothes on a body. I don't know, maybe that was an unfortunate experience that someone had to go through. Or another, another warning that came on a hairdryer, I promise this is true, that read, do not use while sleeping. I mean, I don't know how that would even be possible, but there's the warning. Don't ignore it. Don't use it while sleeping. Don't do it. Another warning that I particularly found was interesting was, written never to use a lit match or an open flame to check the fuel level. Uh, That's pretty sensible, isn't it? I mean, we've all been there, right? But I think finally, and my my favorite, uh, came on a Superman costume uh, that read this. Uh, This costume does not enable flight or super strength. (laughs) 
We read warnings all the time, don't we? And yet this evening in Hebrews, we come to the first of five warning passages that we will see throughout this book. And yet whilst the warnings that we heard just then, you know, we might laugh and we would probably ignore in real life thinking they would never apply to us. Do you know, the warnings written in Hebrews, I'm afraid to say they put all the jokes aside this evening. They are warnings that are directed to each one of us and they are definitely not to be ignored. Because what's interesting is that these are warnings that even the author of Hebrews thinks applies to him. Uh, Look with me at verse 2. So that we do not drift away. The author of Hebrews isn't naively writing this. He puts himself in this boat. He gives himself this warning. He's aware that this is a real danger he is communicating to these Christians that he's writing to. This is a warning. And it's a bit like Bishop Oddo. Do you remember that a couple of weeks ago? Bishop Oddo, he's he's there and it feels uncomfortable when we read these warnings. But Bishop Oddo, he's, he's prodding his troops forward and it's there to encourage. It's not there to beat us up or to leave us disheartened this evening. It is there to encourage. So we walk out of that door fueled and fired to walk with Jesus closer and deeper this week. And our passage tonight, it's a very short passage, as you can see, and it's really got one point for us to consider, one point for us to go home thinking about, and that is the danger of drifting. The danger of drifting. And our passage is really broken up into two parts. Firstly, we get this command. If you see, look, in verse 1, this command comes in verse 1, and then in verses 2 to 4, we get the, the warning, the unpacking that the author gives to that command that's come in verse 1. That's how our passage is structured this evening, and that is how we're going to be following through. But it's all under that one big point, the danger of drifting. So look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. The author says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Drifting away is the thing that the author of Hebrews wants his readers to avoid at all costs. And that word, drift away, it's a, it's a word that is packed with imagery. It, it's a nautical word. It, it's a word that's used to describe a boat that is ripped away from its anchor and it is slowly sailing away by the wind and the tides. That's the imagery here when the author of Hebrews is saying drifting away. And the author takes all of that imagery about a boat drifting away, broken off from its anchor. And the author says that spiritually speaking, the same can happen to Christians too. And let's remember who the author of Hebrews is writing to. We saw last week and the week before in our introduction that the author of Hebrews, he is writing to a group of Christians that are weary. They are tired. These are a group of Christians who are facing the pressure from culture around them. They're facing the pressure to fit in with what everyone else wants them to do. They are Christians that we see in Hebrews who are maybe starting to become spiritually lazy 
in their walk with Jesus. And the result is that they're in the process of drifting away. Because spiritual drifting doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's not a one-off event. It's a pattern that takes place over weeks and months and even years, all culminating to the point where actually we look up and we realize that we're not in the place that we once were. C.S. Lewis put it wonderfully on this. He said this, he said, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would have turned out to be reasoned out of it by honest argument. He says, do not most people simply drift away? C.S. Lewis's point echoes our passage in Hebrews, which is that people don't move away from Christ often, more often than not, in, a, in one big, big and sudden declarations. Most people don't wake up in the morning and actually decide, actually, you know what, following Jesus isn't for me anymore. It's so often a process. It is far longer and far more subtle than we ever think. And in fact, thinking about how we're wanting to drift, just to maybe unpack that for us this evening about why we drift. Why is it that we break off from this anchor and we slowly drift away? Well, I've got three Bs. Maybe as we unpack this, why we drift off. Three Bs. We can drift firstly because we get bored, can't we? The spark begins to fizzle. The the energy begins to lower. The, The wonder of Jesus I say even becomes dimmer in our eyes. It becomes like London to Londoners. You know, when you first go up to London and you see the sights and you see Big Ben and Tower of London and Buckingham Palace, you're over, wow, that's Buckingham Palace. You take all the photos with everyone else. But of course, when you live around the area and you see it a hundred times, you know, I remember getting the train, I was at London, Victoria, and I was walking to Trafalgar Square, and I was on the phone to someone, and I was walking along, and if you know, you go past Buckingham Palace. And I remember getting to the point where I saw this huge crowd of people, and they're all taking pictures, huge smiles on their face, amazed at what they're seeing. And of course, I looked to my left, and there's the giant Buckingham Palace gates, the building, the queen at home, hoping to get a glimpse. And I looked to my left, and I remember just looking at it, going, oh, And then back to my phone call, head down like Londoner, of Trafalgar Square. I'd seen it a hundred times. I got bored. And maybe spiritually this evening, we have got that. The wonder's gone. We've heard the message a thousand times. We've taken communion every week for 15 years. And the spark's gone. Maybe we drift because we get bored. But secondly, we drift because maybe we get busy. Slowly but surely, God begins to get squeezed out of the picture. We, we fill up our lives with so many things and, and events that there becomes no room almost for God in our calendars. And, and we begin to say things like, oh, if only there was time. If only I had the time to spend hearing from God's word. If I I only had a moment to speak with him and we begin to drift because we've become busy. We've taken, squeezed God out of our calendars. But thirdly, and maybe the most common of all, we can drift because we think we get better. We believe we can get better. 
We begin to believe that life in all of its fullness lies outside of knowing Jesus. And we fill up our lives with so many things that we believe, where we believe better lies outside of Christ. And it's not that we don't like Jesus. It's not that we don't like him. It's just that we believe that that better lies elsewhere. Joy lies elsewhere. Life lies elsewhere. And we begin to drift and drift and drift. Because drifting doesn't happen overnight. It happens even without us knowing, doesn't it? That word drifting, you know, if you've ever gone to the beach and you've gone in the sea maybe as a kid and you've gone in and, you, you know, your parents, you're waving to your parents, but soon enough you sort of stick your head up and you've been swimming maybe for the, you know, a couple of hours. And where are you? Well, the tide's taken you all the way down the beach. And your, your, your meters, not miles, that would be a bit dangerous as a kid. But you're far away from where you were. Quicker and further than we ever realized. Because drifting only happens in one direction. That's what Hebrews shows us, doesn't it? It only happens in one direction. We've, we've heard the famous quote, haven't we? You know, you never drift into holiness. And taking our eyes off Jesus never leads us closer to Jesus, does it? That's not the logic of it. Drifting happens slowly, but takes us quicker and further than we ever realize. And so the question really must be for us this evening, if this is the danger, if this is the warning that the author of Hebrews wants us to understand and almost waken up to, then the question really must be, well, how do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? And that's what the author outlines right at the start in the beginning, verse 1. The author says, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. The author of Hebrews says, if you want to stop drifting, if you want to stop drifting, or maybe you even want to start pulling back, getting closer to Jesus, if you want to avoid the danger of drifting, then the antidote, or rather to fit our imagery, the anchor that we are to deploy is we pay full attention to the message that we have heard. And that's language that points us back to the very start of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That is the message we have heard, Hebrews says. The message that God has spoken to this world, which Hebrews tells us is Jesus. This is how God has ultimately and most definitely spoken. This is the message, and it's come in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want an anchor this evening to stop you drifting, then pay the closest and the most urgent attention to Jesus. Don't take your eyes off him. Don't forget about him. Hebrews says he is the anchor that prevents drifting. And so if we're drifting this evening because we're bored, what does Hebrews say? Pay attention to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Look at him. And I love, I want to I sort of apply this, use this an example from a wonderful lady called Gladys Aylward. 
what a, what a woman she was. She was a missionary out in China, and she said this. She was a lady that paid attention to this Jesus, and she said this. If we're bored this evening, then know this. She said, I have not done what I wanted to do. I have not eaten what I wanted or worn what I would have chosen. I've lived in houses that I would have not looked at twice. I'd longed for a husband and babies and security and love, but God never gave them to me. Instead, he left me on my own for 17 years with one book, a Chinese Bible. I don't know anything about the latest novels, films, theatres. I live in a rather out-of-date world. And I suppose you say, it's awfully miserable, isn't it? Friend, I have been one of the happiest women to have ever stepped on the earth. I have known the heavens opening and the blessings tumbling out. Are we bored this evening? Look to Jesus, and we find joy that we couldn't have imagined. Excitement, adventure, purpose, mission, beyond our wildest dreams. But if we're drifting this evening because maybe we're busy, well, drop whatever it is that's filling your calendar. And pay careful attention to Jesus. That's what Hebrews says. Start with him. Let him be what our calendars are built around each day. If that even means getting our Google calendars out and writing in our calendar at 8 a.m. or whenever it is, our first meeting, writing, meeting with JC. And everyone at work maybe looks and thinks, who's this JC that people are meeting with? It sounds pretty important. They're meeting every day. But we know what it means. And I build my calendar. I build my time around paying attention to Jesus. He's what everything else is built around. I pay the most careful attention to him. And if we're thinking this evening that we're drifting because we believe that we found better, you know what Hebrew says. Pay attention to Jesus. Look at Jesus. And I know as I love what Nicky Gumble he said about this. And he said, if the grass looks greener, it's probably astroturf. And do you know, Hebrews says, the grass is green where Jesus is. It doesn't get greener. It doesn't get better in him. We've sung about it, haven't we? Yet not I, but Christ in me. This is what we're singing about. It doesn't get better than Jesus. We can't find better. So Hebrews, it calls us not to sit back and to drift off, but actually Hebrews calls us to stand up, to pay attention, and to pursue that relationship with Jesus that anchors our lives. And yet this command that opens our passage, which says pay attention so that we do not drift away, is is followed by the second part of our passage, which is the warning that follows. The author of Hebrews carries on, explains more. Look with me at verse 2. The the writer says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This is what ties our passage with everything that we heard last week and the week before. Because Hebrews 1's big message to us, as we heard, was Jesus is superior to angels. 
Jesus is superior to angels. And as we look through the Old Testament, we see many times angels of the Lord being messengers of the word of God, delivering words of the Lord to God's people. And yet at times when we read through the Old Testament, when angels delivered those messages, there were times where people heard the message from angels, from God, and rejected it. They ignored it. And in all of those accounts throughout the Old Testament, each time it's ignored, judgment falls. If you think of of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, destroyed completely. The Korah rebellion, the ground opens up and swallows those who rebelled, those who ignored the message. Nadab and Abihu, consumed by fire, just to name a few. And Hebrews, having told us that Jesus, he is superior to angels, and that the message that he has spoken is far greater, Hebrews does the equation and asks the question, what will God then do if we reject Jesus? Hebrews does the maths. What is God going to do if we ignore Jesus? Hebrews says, how shall we escape? How? If we think that rejecting angels is bad, if we think looking through the Old Testament that that carries a big judgment, well, what is going to happen when we reject Jesus? The one that Hebrews has been telling us is far more superior and greater than angels. The one that Hebrews has told us, chapter 1, verse 2, is the heir of all things. The one through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We haven't got our hope if we reject someone like this. And Jesus said as much too. Uh, He's speaking to his disciples uh, when he's about to send them out. And he's been going town to town and towns have been rejecting him. And he says in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is the warning that Hebrews says is the danger of drifting. It is one thing to reject an angel, and the Bible shows us that that does not end well, but to reject Jesus, the Son of God, the King, the heir of all things. What is the Father going to say when we've rejected his Son and we stand before him? His only Son. His only son who has given his own life, spilt his own blood for you and for me. And we just turn around and we say no. We turn around and we ignore the great Jesus. How shall we escape? God has testified himself, verse 4. 
through miracles, wonders and signs recorded in the Gospels. He's poured out his spirit on the church, giving gifts to his people. Someone hasn't misheard the message. That's what Hebrews saying. Someone hasn't misheard the message. God's being clear. This is a message not to be ignored. Because here's the tragic irony of our passage this evening. And this is what I want us to end on tonight. Look with me at verse 3. The writer says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? What is it that Hebrews says ultimately we're ignoring? A salvation, a rescue. Do you see the the tragic irony of this? Judgment falls because we rejected a rescue where Jesus took our judgment in our place. This isn't just any rescue. This is the greatest rescue, the greatest salvation the world has ever seen. The King of heaven, God himself. We heard James read out Philippians chapter 2 for us. God himself humbling himself. Subjecting himself to the most terrifying and tortuous death we could imagine, shedding his blood. The only perfect one treated like the vilest criminal, also the real guilty ones. You and me, who would have no hope standing before a holy God, could become spotless in his sight. That is the salvation. Do you see the irony? We reject a rescue that prevents judgment. A rescue that means judgment passes over us. A judgment that has been taken by someone else. Jesus, God himself. And if we ignore that, we choose for the judgment to come on ourselves instead. What a great salvation this is. I wonder this evening, are we still bored of this Jesus? Are we still too busy for this Jesus? Do we still think that we can find better? How could we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? See what he has done for you tonight. It is the most thrilling, the most captivating and satisfying news that we could ever hear. And if you do not believe me this evening, if you do not believe what Hebrews is saying, then I want to end this evening by reading an extract from this amazing book. It's called The Valley of Vision. It's got a load of old prayers, which I know might sound out of date, but it gets wonderfully to the heart of things. And if you are drifting, then pick this book up because it's a wonderful resource. But it says this, and I want to close. It says this about this great salvation, this great Jesus that we so often can be tempted to drift from. Here we go. Their infinite punishment was due An infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Christ was cast off that I might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Jesus was surrendered to hell's worst that I may attain heaven's best. He was stripped that I may be clothed, wounded that I may be healed. He was a thirst that I might drink. He was tormented that I might be comforted. He was made a shame that I may inherit 
glory. He entered darkness that I may have eternal light. My Savior wept those all tears so that he might wipe all tears from my eyes. He groaned that I might have endless song. He endured all pain that I may have unfading health. He bore a thorny crown that I may have a glory crown. He bowed his head that I might uplift mine. He experienced reproach that I may receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that I may gaze on unclouded brightness. He became expired so that I might forever live. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Let us pay the most careful attention so that we may never drift from this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the times that we drift. Forgive us for the times where we become bored of what is the most glorious news we could ever hear. Forgive us for when we become too busy that you get squeezed out of our schedules. Forgive us when we think that we could ever find better apart from you. Lord Jesus, would you thrill our hearts this evening? Would you show us how glorious you are Show us how great your salvation, your rescue is for each one of us so that we might not ignore this rescue but we might choose to accept all that you choose to give us. And we pray this all in your most glorious and holy name. Amen.